Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Welcome back to the show. Get Today ready we have for some awesome. The, a subdued Jonathan. Spirit. I'm not some music. That's nice. That's enough. Is this? Uh, you know, this is a special day because it's a Friday. This is the first time we've ever done a podcast on a Friday. Uh, it's is this the year that you just give up your Sabbath practices? Yeah, it just wheels off, man. No, it doesn't feel like a Friday because it's the day after Thanksgiving. So it feels like Wednesday was Friday this week. Well, every day with you, Jonathan, feels like Christmas to me. <laughs> and rightfully so. I know I get that. I, totally I mean, just because there's like a little kid who's who's constantly begging for toys. That that's that's why. <laughs> Which one of us is that person in that in that scenario? No, uh, you know we we we've we've struggled to to uh, get this podcast scheduled around the holiday week with Thanksgiving, and uh, at one point uh, we were trying to get our schedules to match up, and you requested to have the podcast scheduled at, and I quote, after. Sundown after sundown, yeah. After sundown, because in Arkansas you don't have clocks; you just use sundown as a standard measurement for time. And you were so sarcastic. We use numbers here in Texas. I guarantee you, there are people in Texas who say things like "sun up" and "sundown." But when you're working out, yeah, outside, you have to use every bit of daylight. Now, were you guys? Is it like every? Like every fall, every Thanksgiving, you guys have to dig up a new outhouse. Is that what it was? Yeah, we had a lot that of people you guys coming were... up. Is it the... But isn't that the practice though? Like everyone gets together to build each other's homes and like the Amish outhouses, yeah. the barn raisins. Hold on, All, this whole time I thought your family actually was Amish. Are you saying that's not the case? <laughs> we're kind of living a little bit more like Amish people, but I don't think Amish people Skype. Yeah, that would be the one. One drawback. Anyway, nevertheless, we're here. I'm grateful you're here. And uh, it's Thanksgiving. It's time of gratitude. Uh, I, I feel like uh, maybe we should talk about gratitude for a second as we get started. People are going to be just coming back from Thanksgiving when they listen to this. And uh, hopefully people are still in that, like, after Thanksgiving gratitude season. Or maybe they just, like, rushed into the Black Friday pandemonium about buying stuff. Isn't that crazy? We, we can't even have a full day. I always say, you know, keep Christ in Christmas is what Christians talk about. But um, I just like to keep the Friday in Black Friday. <laughs> yeah, it's a more modest totally. proposal. Uh, the the average American family, according to uh, research that I read this past week, is spending nine hundred dollars on Christmas presents a year. Huh. We are. That's above a lot of money. <laughs> Well, you have a whole lot of kids. That's we do have, and and my wife's sister has a lot of kids. So, plus Santa yeah, Claus, all that. It's it gets expensive. What percent of your household believes in Santa Claus still? A hundred percent. Why? What? what I did. <laughs> <laughs> Dear Jonathan writes down note. Uh wait, is Santa Claus real or not? Is that what you just t- wrote down for you for yourself <laughs> yeah. to Google afterwards? I'm, I've got to look yeah. this up. Okay. Okay, Fair so enough. about gratitude. I was telling you a little bit of this earlier this week, but I I've, I've been thinking about getting this tattoo. Did I tell you I was thinking about getting a tattoo? 
Uh, yes. Like on my forearm? That says what? You are only a worthless servant having done your duty. Which is weird because I always thought we hung up when I said that to you after every podcast. <laughs> I didn't know you were hearing that this entire time. <laughs> Why would you want that? That seems like a little bit, uh, a little dark. Wouldn't you want something like, you know, this is, you know, God's beloved child or fearfully, wonderfully made or something that would, you know, endear more, I don't know, love, self-love? Yeah, no, we, we, we need a little bit more self-love, don't we? I think what this country's hurting for is our self-esteem is just way too low. Have you ever noticed? But don't you? You remember before Louis C.K. Um, you know, fell from grace or whatever. Uh, do you ever notice or how he was discovered to be a monster? <laughs> one of those. Back when we could reference Louis C.K. and not feel guilty. Yeah, that's right. Um, do you yeah. remember his genius was always saying, kind of the, um, it was it was making the negative move so that you would feel joy. Like, do you realize how lucky you yeah. are? Remember, his everything's amazing and nobody's happy. Whole spiel on Conan. Okay, so mm-hmm. I would, I, I'm going through the Gospel of Luke, and there was always that passage that really, really bothered me. Uh, I, actually, I just kind of ignored it because I didn't know what to do with it, but it's in Luke 17 where Jesus does the parable of which of you, if you had a servant who worked all day in the field... Uh, when he came in, would say, eat and drink. No, you tell the servant, now fix my food and wait on me while I eat and drink. And then you can get something for yourself. And then he says, so also you, you, um, you're only a worthless servant having done your duty. After you've done everything you can. And the reason uh, I, that, I just started loving that pa- that passage is because couple things. One, Jesus is talking to religious people like me and you, religious leaders like me and you, and they're, they're so entitled. There's this idea that comes over time that's, that sinks into people who grew up doing church that obeying God obligates God. That and, and Jesus is making this powerful negative move that God doesn't owe me anything. And then the very next story is the story of the ten lepers. And only one comes back and thinks. Remember Jesus heals the ten lepers and then... Yeah. And so the idea is, maybe so many of us think that we're more than, you know, worthless servants just doing our job. So the idea is we don't have to feel like we have to come back. Is that, is that the connection you're making? That Dude, think of this. Yeah, go ahead. So well, I, it seems like when you become entitled, gratitude doesn't show up afterwards. At all, at all. And so I told you the reason I was thinking about getting this tattooed, and I'm, I'm legitimately thinking about that if I can keep my job and I have it. But <laughs> <laughs> um, because I feel like, over the last month, this has sunk into me, and I wake up every day differently. Um, the it, here's here's what it here's what it's done for me. I realize. I mean, it's it's the same move Randy Harris made with Josh Ross when after his sister died. You know why shouldn't yeah. you know you bear in the suffering of the world, all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> here's what it dawned on me. 
you know, I get frustrated or ticked because something happens at church. But I, I was poor. I had, ne- I, I would have never even thought to ask God to give me the gift of preaching. You know, I didn't ask for that. I'm the only, I'm the first person in my family to go to college, and I didn't, I wouldn't have known to even pursue something like that. And what happens is over time, you just start assuming a certain level of lifestyle comfort. You know, um, you you have expectations of God as if God is obligated to make you a middle class, cancer free, you know, like all these different things. And Jesus is doing this move that's kind of like chemo for Western Americans that we really, really need. You, God doesn't owe me anything. And therefore, every morning you wake up and you're like, can you believe I've got this life? Hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? And I mean that sincerely. Yeah. No, 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 I get it. Because we seem to uh, migrate towards what we're used to as like the standard. Mm-hmm. Like, for, for example, like the standard, okay, you're middle class and you're, you have no cancer. And, and so that's just what you feel like you, you deserve. And every day to kind of re- recalibrate what that's is it. truly deserved of you makes everything else on top of that become an act of grace. That's it. That's it. And I think that's what Jesus is doing there. Because these nine it's, Jewish guys who get their lives back given to them, they don't even come back and say thank you. Yeah. Do you, know, so, you see the point? So, no, no, I fully get. I like it was, uh, you know, <clears throat> last summer, summer year and a half ago when we had those two days when we were in Jell Children's and we thought Audrey was going to have leukemia, right? And then we find out on the other side, oh, she doesn't have it. We're coming home and everything is just, oh, this is amazing. This is so great, and it seemed like you would never go back to the way you were before that. But eventually, it just becomes normal again that all three of your kids don't have cancer. That's and right. It goes back to being, this is what, what I'm used to, and therefore I don't wake up every day with, oh my goodness, this is a gift that no one's sick. Now, there are a lot of things that kind of, I, I work to not do that, but yeah, I completely see where you're going with this. And this is the, the, uh, the breath prayer, the Jesus prayer, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Uh-huh. That idea of adding in, I am a sinner, that... Uh, my standing before God isn't merited. That's right. My standing in the world is not merited. All right, this doesn't sound as bad as I initially thought it was going to be. Your tattoo. Yeah, I love it. Outside of having to explain it over and over again to everybody, you know, (laughs) um, I I just love it personally for me. I've thought for a long time it would have to be something that was super meaningful to put on my body for the rest of my life. And I've, I think this is one of those things. Even the stuff that's sad, like you were talking about Audrey with cancer. My dad has Parkinson's that is in the dis- diminishing part of his life. But it's sad because he's a good dad. And if you start with, why is my dad dying? Then you're missing even joy in those moments. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Well, if you do, uh, if you do get the tattoo, you could uh, put quotations around it and then write Jesus. Yeah, I would. So that we're we're both saying that to you. <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly what I had in mind. Jesus, yeah. Gospel of Luke, because that's where it's said. So, in some ways, when you see that, you remember it. I said that about you as well. Uh-huh, yeah, that's, that's good. Cool. I like that. No, I. 
So the gratitude practice is something to reset you every day to what your actual expectations are supposed to be. That's that right. This is it. And it's, it's not going to always be, you know, 100% of what you want your life to be. It's not going to always be 100% of your picture of what you think you deserve, but it's, it's reality. That's, That's good. good. I like it. You want to like get it. matching tattoos? No, not at all. My body's a temple, mm. and uh, I, I don't know any religious building that ever has like artwork covering it. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. We yeah. grew up in churches of Christ. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Sistine Chapel, Oklahoma. Yeah, yeah, no, Sistine Chapel's not an option for me, <laughs> or as you would call it, the Sixteenth Chapel. Uh, <laughs> It's, it's not an option either. Yeah, good for you. Good for you. Uh, so, uh, segue. So, I did a monologue this past uh, month, and I talked about the ninety percent. The idea of that every one of us has made decisions that lowered our ability to experience the life God intends for us, and mm-hmm. to be content with that. And so, it's kind of that same idea of you have to level set what your reality is and some sometimes your reality is worse because of what you've done and that sometimes means like that has happened for each and every one of us our reality yeah. today is is it's not all god intended it to be because the way that i have used my agency or just the agency of those around me that's influenced it and as i did that monologue i knew there's something missing at the end and i'm not i'm still trying to figure out what it is and since i was working on that one of the things that came to my mind was uh, a story of something that I think you and I found, you found out about this incident when I think we were in Greece together like two years ago. That's right. Yeah. And you get this terrible call about a terrible thing that's happened to uh, my best friends. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. We were in Greece and my, this guy that I grew up in, grew up with, um, really good guy. He was homeschooled. He played on the same basketball team as me. Um, just a super good guy. Um, like a lot of people in Arkansas that I ran with did not have any kind of upward mobility, did, went, didn't go to college, <clears throat> fell into the wrong crowd, and uh, started using meth. And the week that we were in Greece, the reason I got a phone call <clears throat> was because he had he, he had his two kids in the truck with him, and he went to a meth party. Um, he was just stopping by, but uh, wound up getting high, and the kids and him rolled their truck into a pond, and they drowned and he got out and so that preacher camp last month that had just what it, the fallout from that had just happened I mean it's just heartbreaking it's one of the reasons I'm real big on like evangelism and and uh, especially in Arkansas I see these kind of stories all the time and anyway he goes to jail obviously um, the district attorney towards the end of the trial offers him a plea deal of like five years and since he's already been in jail for a year he after like everything's said and done he'd only have like another nine months to a year in prison and my friend John 
says, uh, I don't think you understand. My kids' lives mattered. They demand justice. So I don't want a plea bargain. Throw the book at me. And I could not be more prouder for him for that. I mean, what? He just, he did the only redeemable thing he could in that moment. So he got 60 years in prison and uh, is feels like he's a chaplain in a jail. He, he feels called to jail ministry. And when I told that story in a sermon at Pleasant Valley, uh, gosh, last month, this guy comes up to me and says my friend's name. He says, were you talking about him? And I said, yeah. And he goes, dude, that guy changed my life in jail. Um, so... so so the guy comes up to you who is in jail with this guy. Mm-hmm. Wow. And his, he said he's on fire for the Lord. And You know, Donald Miller has that great line when he says, whenever we screw up our lives, God steps back and says, okay, let's start there. And I, I think to your point, I mean, in ministry and in, in the mirror, there's plenty of things that we, we've done or we've seen people do that you just can't take back. The shrapnel of our own decisions just, you know, are irreversible, but not irredeemable, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've I've tried to imagine how I would forgive myself if I was that guy. And there's no way from my point of view how I could imagine forgiving myself— but I think there's some grace about until you're in that moment, you will never understand what grace means to you right then. Because there's a lot of situations that uh, until you're in, you don't realize anything other than the, enorm- the enormous nature of that reality. But once you're in that, then you realize how much bigger grace can be. And That's until right. you're in that, you don't understand, I think, what grace is. And so I, I think, I, I remember that story, I remember you telling it, and as I've tried to piece together, what does that look like to be content with that? And the metaphor was, you know, what are you doing? You have 90% of your life left instead of the 100% God intends. And I hear that story and I go, well, this guy has what, 5% of the life that God intends for him left? I mean, obviously the numbers are arbitrary to some degree, but this is a guy who's lost everything. I mean, Mm -hmm. you're carrying with that, yet there's a grace that he has found and a calling that he's found that is probably a vehicle for him to receive grace as long, uh, along with others receiving grace that somehow mm-hmm. sustains him in that. Anyway, it's, just, it's, been, um, it's been very life-giving to me to hear that story. And, you know, I, I grieve for what that guy has to deal with every day, though. Yeah, and, and he, you know, you can't, you can't take that back. But I, I, on, the, on the flip side, I was thinking about this when I heard your podcast about some people that names come to mind of people who like had affairs and then, you know, they, they went down that, that mindset of I'll never get back the trust of my spouse. Mm -hmm. And they couldn't shake that. They couldn't receive grace and start again. And so they wound up doing again. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. So their 90% came 80, became 70, became, you know, yeah, it sets that uh, shame cycle that usually 
you know, words right. like addiction. And it's not just addiction, but it's I feel so bad. Nothing's going to make this feel better. I feel terrible about myself. So the only thing I think I can turn to is the very thing that caused the shame in the first place. Yeah. And it keeps going on and on and on. Yeah, yeah. And so I think that's the that's the power of grace in those moments to say, no, there is, there's another voice. And life might keep a record of wrong, but love speaks a different word. So, yeah. Hey, I really like that line. I thought when, when you said that, I, I am going to use that in a sermon. It almost offset your um, couldn't get his leg in the coffee. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I had someone t- uh, text me like that the Monday morning it went live and I posted a while before and I was like, what in the world are you texting me about? Like, I have no idea what this is supposed to. And then I realized, Oh yeah, this is, I, I did that. So cool. Glad, thanks for bringing that up. Funny uh, okay. Fire. Let, speaking of dumpster fires, I know there's comments you're going to want to make about David Bentley Hart. So I'm just going to let you go and make them. Uh, okay. Uh, I was nervous to, for you. You were nervous for me. Yeah, because David Bentley Hart suffers no fools, and you know. <laughs> no, I don't know what that means. I don't. I don't get it. Well, your audience will. <laughs> They'll understand. So you were so toned down. I was like, "Where is this Luke at?" <laughs> I would be I, seen out in public with this Luke. <laughs> it, I was trying to find my footing. And when you don't have your footing, you don't swing for the fences. So yeah, I mean that's 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 fair. Uh, Dude, I would I, I told you this on the phone, but I would pay th- I would have paid a thousand dollars for anyone when he was going through the list of those like Eastern Orthodox fathers <laughs> for because you're just mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So oh, yeah, Isaac and the you know like all these people that neither one of us have ever heard. Of, I would have paid a thousand dollars for somebody <laughs> to say. Luke, could you tell us just one thing at all about <laughs> any of those people that he's referring to? <laughs> and she just, no, no, I'm tracking with you. I'm tracking with you. Yeah. Just, yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, if you want to talk about Chris Davis and his hitless streak in, uh, yeah, in, in professional baseball, of course I can do that. But when it comes to these patristic leaders of the church, yeah, no, I'm, I'm out. Yeah. I, were you asking if I listened to the your dad and Randy take on that? I mean, honestly, a lot of people have listened to that, and kind of the feedback I'm getting is that, you know, Randy did like a D-minus job on his performance <laughs> on my podcast. D-minus. So, yeah. I don't know if we even need to talk about it, because like I said, it's, you know, it was what it was. Yeah, no, I, I, I get you grading Randy. Apparently that still stung. Um, I, think I, Randy's, I think Randy's the right person to ask about that, like... Um, I actually called him a couple of weeks ago to ask him about All Shall Be Safe because I haven't read it yet. Um, and and he, we talked about him making the strong case for universalism instead of the – he's not doing the uh, Rob Bell. Look, this is, this is some, something Christians – some Christians have believed in for – since the beginning. He's doing the yeah. – this is what all Christians should believe in, and those who are on the outside are—they're the ones that are suspect. Yeah, yeah. No, he—he's making a uh, substantially stronger attack. Whereas, uh, you know, Rob was, as he said, like throwing stuff against the wall to see if anything stuck. Um, uh, Hart is like trying to throw everyone against the wall who disagrees with him. Dude, 
I, I, part of what makes me like David Bentley Hart, well, one is, you know, Christian Fake, The Best Atheist, was based on his book, Atheist Delusions. Like that whole... Was it? Yeah, that whole thing that um, Christians used to get baptized at midnight, naked, and they would turn and face the West and spit, and then they would turn and face... That was all David Bentley Hart. Um, oh, you, that's right. I remember referencing <clears throat> that, but yeah. So that book is phenomenal. So I, I, I've always like David Bentley Hart, although I can't understand a lot, like, you know, 30% of what he's saying because he's very dense. But um, I, I, I did find, here, here's my hot take on All Shall Be Saved without having read it or anything. This is going to um, Yeah, well, my hot take is, oh, good, another white middle-class man telling us about uh, how... God's justice works. You know, like Richard Mao, the former president of Fuller, has he he wrote in one of his books something about how him and all his white preacher friends didn't like preaching about hell, but then they started hanging out with minority preachers and found out that they preached about it on a much more regular basis. And he said, We found it was uncomfortable how much resources uh, they found in the idea of God's justice that we didn't feel comfortable talking about. And so, you know, for what that's worth, I would love to hear a minority report on All Shall Be Saved. Yeah, that's a fair take. It's a fair question. Did he extrapolate more of a rationale for why... His people, uh, his persons of color, preacher friends had a greater uh, tendency to go there. Well, yeah, sure. I mean, the think about think about what slavery and systemic racism does to to the like the black experience in America. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't fix it. It's so complicated. It's so interwoven. People like me and you are blind to the, you know, how complicated it is for a black man uh, just to make his way in America. And so part of part of and some people are complicit in it. Like it's not just they're blind to it. They're complicit in it. And, And you have little to no recourse, little to no power to do anything about it. And so I would imagine Part of what church would do is say one day that's going to be set right. And those, even Rob Bell says this in Love Wins, and those who would like to keep it that way, God is going to say in the age to come, not here you won't. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah. I, so the move was if the vengeance isn't the Lord's, then the temptation becomes for it to become mine. Right. And Hart's response was, don't you think you know, God's way of solving this is going to be bigger than ours. Isn't it going to be more satisfying and more, you know, all encompassing of both a a righteousness that lives into love in a way that we typically only see it living into punishment. And I I like the idea that Mm -hmm. God's vengeance and God's redemption is going to be bigger than I can imagine. But in the meantime, yeah, I, I, I can imagine that there would have to be some trust that, that God is going to set it right in a way that, ameliorates the frustration that I have if I was in that situation. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's and I, I think David Bentley Hart's got a great point with that. That you know, God's punishment doesn't look like human punishment, and the way that we often talk about hell makes God into a monster. Um, I still find C.S. Lewis's great divorce compelling, even though I know the. Um, and you know, Luke, I, here's what I would, if I had, if I was intelligent enough to stand up to David Bentley Hart, not to argue with him, but just to like. Uh, push back per, his idea of perfect you know perfect knowledge perfect you know your your freedom expands or whatever there is a part of me that after spending my life around a lot of religious people and some of them filled with joy and the fruits of the spirit and some of them filled with self-righteous bitterness and pride there is a part of me that thinks I don't think if you ex some of the people who are like that to the living God they would want anything to do with him hmm. does that make sense it, it, it would say that. that and this is C.S. Lewis's point in The Great Divorce that people who are in hell aren't the murderers and liars and cheaters they're the ones who want to stand on their own merit and righteousness they're the the people who well, I don't need, you know, I don't want to be around those people. I don't want to be, I don't want to be around people who don't deserve it. I only want what I, you know, and I, you know, N.T. Wright, when he talks about hell, just talks about how um, there is a, there's a trajectory of our lives that we are on. And then one day we will stand before the living God and the question is will we want to be in his presence forever mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay so here's a real practical question about hell because Randy you know Randy goes to power and a lot of people have a lot invested in hell um, because it's power but it is it what do you what do you tell Hitler to stop him from doing the Holocaust Hitler it's a bad idea I wouldn't go to Hitler like, what is God going to do with Hitler now? I would want to know what a preacher tells Hitler then. Hey, Hitler, it's a bad idea, but, you know, eventually. Yeah, if you use that, you know, Hitler, you're not living in a God's best for you. That's not going to be that <laughs> yeah, right. I think, what hey, Hitler, tell, you're, you're at 0%, buddy. What about the grand dragon of the Ku Klux Klan right now? Yeah. And so the idea that there is hell to pay for this should prevent you from doing something that brings more hell to this earth uh, on earth as it is in hell right so that that's the yep. move oh that's what I'm asking yeah uh, hmm I'm it, it sure is the fear of eternal torment is a pretty strong motivator yeah but I would assume most would say well I just don't believe in it and do whatever they want I mean because you would assume that you know Hitler was theoretically around some of the most sophisticated theologians of his day. And mm-hmm. it wasn't as if they were universalists or as, as if they didn't have that at at their disposal to use. But I, I think it, it obviously didn't influence him, but this goes back to Hart's point that how much of, an, uh, of a free agent was Hitler to make the decisions he wanted? Because I think he had all the intellectual, uh, you know, 
possibilities of what the afterlife could be given to him at some point. You, you can't imagine he didn't know that living in Germany at the time. Sure, yeah. Um, I mean, it was a pretty secular time. The yeah. It had been, you know, that's a Boltmann and all those people who had kind of demythologized Christianity. So, you know, Maybe, it was yeah, kind of true. like... But one of the one of the points David Bentley Hart made that I really appreciated was the um, and it was in that section was the look we're all not we're all captive to sin and so it's deeper than just you know Hitler failed art school so one thing led to another you know it's hey I've used that before don't you dare take that away from me <laughs> we've got to be the artist within let that out or we become a we become Hitler. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but the, Lord knows what would happen if, you know, your books didn't get published. How to Start a Riot. If that didn't happen, what would happen? I mean, literally dozens of people would have missed out. <laughs> Clearance bins everywhere would be a little bit more empty. <laughs> oh, it's painful. Oh, it's... Um, yeah, so I mean, I do think David Bentley Hart has a good point, one that is often overlooked when Christians talk about hell, which is it's not just the actions that we all do. It's that we're all captive to sin. And I will tell you, listening to the podcast, there was part of me that my heart swelled and I was like, I hope he's right. I would love because that's really, really good news that even if even the worst of us, God is going to get to bend their knee in celebration of King Jesus being Lord. You know, and that's pretty. I, I do like that. Let's uh, let's pivot here. We're talking about something else that, as a man of Arkansas, you would like, and that is Mr. Johnny Cash, J.R. Right. Cash, as you might know him. When. Uh, when you know Beck sent you that copy of his book before it came out, shut up, and shut you, up. what? Oh, why, Luke? Why? Yeah, I assume oh. it got lost oh. in the mail. I think yeah. that's why. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Because he's an elder at the church to let you go. The um, <laughs> the thing you about know, Johnny we Cash is to, we were going to go to Johnny Cash's childhood home together, but he had to cancel that trip because he had other stuff going on so me and my daughter went by ourselves oh that's cool you know it's weird is i was just talking to uh shane hughes and he said he's going there with beck i don't know why but beck asked him to go <laughs> yeah <laughs> well i hope you know what actually shane should go because his former worship minister uh works right outside of where johnny cash grew up <clears throat> everybody in arkansas has Johnny Cash stories. <clears throat> like my dad met him in an airport. Mm-hmm. Um, and what does your dad say about his encounter with him at the airport? Um, I mean, he's talked about it for years. It was just, he met him and said hi. <clears throat> and you know, that was kind of a big deal. Everybody in Arkansas has Clinton stories and Johnny Cash stories. We're very yeah, I proud. Saw pi- I saw you uh, in a picture with... Uh, Old uh, President Clinton. That's right. I, yeah. I went, um, you want to do that Arkansas corner at the end, and I'll tell you about that. Uh, I mean, honestly, I feel like we should j- just jump right into it right now. 
All right. So um, the former chancellor at UALR, <clears throat> his name is Joel what Anderson. Is UALR. Oh yeah, University of Arkansas at Little Rock. It's uh, it's like a commuter college that it, I don't know, like ten, gotcha. twelve thousand students go to. Anyway, he's actually this really big deal for racial reconciliation has been for decades in Little Rock. So he's just a great dude. <clears throat> and me and him care about that together. So he, the Arkansas newspaper has its 200th anniversary and he invites me to go with him. And Clinton's talking and Clinton threw a ton of shade at Trump. Uh, actually did some, had a really great speech and had some funny lines about uh, being an Arkansan and how there's some stories here that need to stay here. You know, <laughs> he said, "Look, look, guys, we're not a we're not a city a state of twenty million, so we know stuff about each other." Okay, let's just <laughs> keep that in house, shall we? <laughs> That's my Clinton impression. That was pretty sad. Um, that was pretty sad. Yeah. So, Which is a nice way to say, hey, there's some shady stuff I've done in the past. Y'all don't I go to the <laughs> press, please. So, yeah. Keep it off Facebook. Uh, um, right. So after, after it was over, Joel said, hey, let's go. Because held, he held me when I was a baby. So he said, let's go up and, and meet Bill. And you tell him that he held you when you were a baby. So... We walk up, there's secret security and stuff there, but Clinton's in Little Rock. And so it's all these people who are, and it's great hearing them talk to him. And they're not talking to him about politics. They're talking to him about like, remember when? And, you know, it's just, uh, we miss you in the neighborhood, those kind of comments. It was cool seeing a, a former president not being treated primarily as a president. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, anyway, so... Joel Anderson walks up to him, and Bill goes, well, hey, Joel, because that dude never forgets a name, ever. I mean, he, he hadn't seen Joel Anderson in 20 years, and anyway, Joel said, hey, I want you to meet my preacher, so we talked about preaching for like three minutes. And Wait, uh, What did he say about preaching? <clears throat> hey, I think you should use that story I told earlier. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, actually, I, I want to use the other story. That works, too. Um, his daughter, <laughs> I didn't know this till I was uh, leaving, but his daughter, Chelsea, grew up going to the church that I preach at now. Because, like, her nanny was a member and actually, uh, anyway, there, there's a ton of Clinton stories at PV. Wow. But, yeah, it was cool. That, that There you go. Send, send him an invite for the podcast. I'm sure we can come up with something for that. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Oh, goodness. Well, there we go. Well, uh, I feel like we've got a lot covered. Uh, we've survived because you're, you're at home. I'm at home without uh, our herd of children running in, which we thought would happen at any moment. That's right, man. I hope you have a good Black Friday shopping experience, getting ready for Christmas. Yeah, no, I will not be doing any shopping. But I will be uh, having something for the end of the year show. I've got an idea, Stormont. I think we should uh, each pick out three highlights of a section of the podcast from the last year, and then we play them and we talk about them. So you've got to go back and listen to, or think about the three like clips 
from the past year on the podcast, and then we'll do that like the end of the year wrap up that way. Okay, sounds good. Okay. I like good. It. Uh, all right. Well, then uh, next month we've got on the podcast. Uh, oh, what is his name? The guy who <laughs> he's been on the podcast. Shia Alex. What is his name? Uh, what is his name? I feel like I should know this better. He's been on Rob's podcast a bunch. He did the quadratus, like the four different stages of humanity that the gospels represent. You have no idea who I'm talking about, do you? I don't. He's been on your podcast before? No, he's been on Rob's. I've never had him on the podcast. He's been on Rob's a bunch, and I've had a bunch of people say, hey, you need to have this guy on. Long story short, this is the first time Lynn Anderson called me up and said, hey, you need to have this guy on your podcast. Lynn Anderson is a Church of Christ icon. He was two preachers before you at Highland. Is that right? Such Tim? a great guy. Yeah, two preachers. Yeah. It, my, it was Lynn and Mike and me. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, we've got him coming up. We've got a few others. I think Brian McLaren's going to come back on. And, oh, cool. Uh, you know, I got a uh, I got reached out to by Louis Giglio's people. He's got like a Christmassy book or something, and I thought, okay, well, this could be interesting. Are you going to have Louis Giglio on? I mean, his people email me. I said, yeah, sure, let's talk about it. And so we're trying to find awesome. a date. But, uh, we'll see. I really like Louis Giglio. You should just really? own. <laughs> you should, yeah, I do. I really like him. Have uh, you been to passion conferences? Right. Yeah, I went to one day, which was like the mega yeah. passion conference, and. Anyway, yeah, go ahead. Carry on with your story. No, I mean, I just, he has a real passion for young adults and college students. And, um, you know, our tradition's not super emotional or expressive. And so, passion and one day really blessed me when I was in college, like, helped me yeah. open up to some stuff. You should only ask him questions about growing up with Andy Stanley. <laughs> what if you had a podcast? So, what's Andy like? Tell me. I mean, but like, what do you like to eat? Where'd you guys go? Um, what's his favorite hamburger? Uh, do you think Andy would ever come on the podcast? Do that? Oh, that's so terrible. That would be that's so, so great. Bad. That's so you wrote bad. a Christmas book. Does Andy like Christmas? <laughs> <laughs> what does Andy think about this book? Um, yeah. Has he cast a vision for your life? Uh, what, is the, what is Andy's win for you? Um, okay, there it is. You just wrote the podcast for me. Uh, Jonathan, it's been a pleasure. You're going to go call the, the pigs? Hogs? What do you call them? The hogs. Yeah, we're calling the hogs. Going to the only Little Rock Razorback football game today to watch the hogs. There you go. Do your thing. Pretty excited about that. I can only imagine. All right, man. Happy Thanksgiving. You You too, man. Servant, you've done your job and nothing more. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.